Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bringing the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with writer Joanna Penn, who also writes novels under J.F. Penn. She's a podcaster with The Creative Pen, making abundant use of her surname, very handy for a writer, and she runs The Books and Travel Show. I should say straight up that she does not do swords or even a lot of history, but her work has been really influential on mine. It was Joanna that taught me how to market my books, and also Joanna who gave me the idea to create online courses. I was a guest on her podcast, The Creative Pen, in 2015, and it's thanks to her that I took the plunge to create the audiobook version of my theory and practice of historical martial arts, and indeed, this show itself. One of the goals of the Sword Guy podcast is to encourage you to cast a wide net, to learn from all sorts of people, from all sorts of backgrounds and areas of expertise. While we won't be talking about martial arts or swords today, we will be foraying into physical training, pilgrimage, cadaver tombs, and perhaps most importantly, how to set about accomplishing your goals. So without further ado, Joanna, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Guy. Or should I call you the sword guy? <laughs> <laughs> you would be the first person in history to do so. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, uh, first question is, whereabouts are you? I am in Bath in the southwest of England, and it is raining right now. Surprise, February in Bath. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know you've written a book with a colleague called Dr. Ewan Lawson and uh, about healthy writers, how to be a healthy writer. And you've talked a bit about how you went from being relatively unfit and in shoulder pain and arm pain and things like that to being hopefully in a lot less pain apart from this ghastly frustration of the pandemic. Um, so could you just sort of give us an overview of how you got from where you started to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest thing is about when you're in a lot of physical pain, and I'm sure people who, who do swords a lot, you end up with pain in different places. And so when I ended up with pain, mainly in my shoulder, my left shoulder, and I was in so much pain at this point that I ended up crying in the shower and it was, it got really, really bad. And this was after like 25 years of desk work and just generally the sedentary life, uh, as you mentioned, um, being, um, someone who types all day every day is not very healthy. So what I would say is I hit, I pretty much hit rock bottom. So I, over the last decade, I guess I've been peeling off the layers of pain. Uh, you know, I used to get migraines and I fixed that. And, you know, over the years I've done various things, but this shoulder pain really was just way too much. So that was when I eventually went to see a specialist. <laughs> and that, that would be one tip. I mean, I've had personal trainers for like over a decade. I've been going to the gym, I've done yoga, but actually it was seeing a specialist in the area who specialized in the area that I was in pain for. And then essentially the, it wasn't no quick fix. And this is another typical thing with health is that uh, I essentially had to change my posture. So people listening, if you kind of hunch over and your shoulders are rolling forward, what I have to do is retrain my the middle of my back muscles to pull my shoulders back and uh, have a better posture for writing, but also for living in order that I can do things like reach overhead. So 
what where I am now is quite a long way. I mean, even when I saw you, you know, I've been doing ultra marathons for for a while, but and I've been doing a lot of activity, but it was never specifically training the various muscle groups. So where I am now is I do uh, weight training twice uh, twice a week with an online <laughs> online trainer at the moment. It used to be in person, and I I still do long walks. Um, walk every day in lockdown, obviously, and then have longer walks. But I have changed my uh, sort of remedial behavior. So I'm standing up now at the doing my the, the podcast and I have weights in my uh, office where I do various things. So it's it's really about changing your attitude to this quick fix, which I feel often happens with health. It's like, oh, I'll just take a pill. But really retraining muscle groups in order to be more functional. And I think that definitely relates to uh, sword work. I mean, the whole point is functional, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so much of my job is getting modern clerical workers in a fit physical condition to do medieval martial arts. Mm. Uh, a lot of it is, as you say, it's retraining the body to move in a way that isn't going to hurt it. And yeah, you know, we have loads of specifics because, of course, we're not just about not injuring ourselves, but also very much about injuring other people uh, in a totally consensual way, of course. <laughs> uh, so, so for us, the the study of the mechanics also applies to how do you break things, which is really useful. In fact, you know, I I had a serious issue with my wrists for a long time in the nineties, so so much so bad that I had to actually choose between doing swords and actually being able to work the next day. It was that bad. Mm. Uh, it was just awful. And this friend of mine, who's a Kung Fu instructor, he fixed my wrists in about 20 minutes with this massage. And then he gave me these exercises to do. And the massage really helped, but it was the exercises that kept it helping. Yeah. I mean, I, I also, I went to physio. I used to go to physio sort of every week. And physios are great. I'm not dissing physio at all, but it's kind of... Uh, it's a bit like taking a pill. It helps for a short amount of time, but in order to fix the problem long term, you have to fix the underlying issue. And it was interesting, even today. So I have to, I have a very tight right hip. Um, mm -hmm. so when I walk now, for example, again, when I, when you and I went to the Isle of Wight, I didn't really know about having such a tight right hip. And now I do certain exercises before I walk to loosen those muscles. And my trainer today said, you know, your hip mobility is getting a lot better. That is also related to your shoulders. And it's so interesting, you know, yeah, because I, I feel like I, I'm, I have number of degrees. I feel like I'm very educated in my brain, but I feel like the physical education that we need to do things is lacking in our, generally in our modern society. You know, it's like, oh, go for a run or do yoga or whatever, but it's not about how the anatomy works. And as you say about um, with, with your swords, you are aiming at particular places in people's bodies. So maybe you know more about anatomy. But for me, I'm learning all the time about how certain muscle groups do certain things and, you know, what to stretch in order to do something else. And I feel like it's so missing and so necessary. And I, I'm a writer, you know, I don't particularly do anything uh, very difficult in my daily life. But having um, a functional body at age 46, uh, which is what I am in a couple of weeks, is is what I need to do. And my goal is to be fitter and fitter as I, you know, approach 
50 and, you know, moving on, I want to do more and more as opposed to less and less. And for women, particularly weight training is so important. And yet it's so undervalued, um, you know, for, for women, because they're often worried that it might bulk you up too much or all of these things. Whereas actually, you know, bone density and all of these things are so important for health. And I mean, hopefully the pan, one of the silver linings of the pandemic might be that we do take our health a lot more seriously think about these things in uh, a more of a holistic way rather than just a, oh, my wrist hurts, so I'll fix my wrist or, oh, my shoulder yeah. hurts, I'll fix my shoulder. Yeah, and, and with the pandemic, we're also seeing how, how important things are, like just being able to go out the house and talk to people, to our <laughs> general health. Nice. I mean, it's, it's, but it, it, it's not, again, it's not, I, I, I've, there's a really strong correlation between mental health and physical health. And if you're in a bad mental health place, it's really difficult to get the energy together to do the physical health stuff that you need to do. So, you know, the fact that people are stuck at home, yeah, they're taking things seriously. But I think a lot of people are having, finding it more difficult to exercise and do the healthy things because they're not getting the kind of the, the mental health side of things addressed at the same time. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that's why, I mean, I do a Zoom online with my personal trainer and there are definitely days when if I, w I didn't have an appointment with him that I wouldn't do it because I don't feel that way. So probably my tip if people are feeling like that is do something that is actually scheduled at a particular time. I mean, I also have the Apple Plus Fitness with my watch and I, you know, when you can do classes anytime, but those you can say, oh, well, I don't feel like it. And nobody is, you know, saying, where are you? So I think that's important. You try and schedule things at a particular time. And then you kind of have to turn up and do it or you have to pay for it anyway. And so that's that kind of shortcuts that yeah. one. I think we all have to find these ways of dealing with it, right? Yeah. I mean, and the way I dealt with it. So one morning in June last year, I got up and I was going to do my usual kind of calisthenic training stuff before breakfast. And I did two squats and one push up and thought, fuck it, that'll do. And, <laughs> That's better and that, than nothing. Well, that, then I thought, you know what? This is probably not leading me towards my long-term goals. Probably not. So what I did was I actually started a training session where I would get up and do my training and my students could join in, right? Three mornings a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8.30 to 9.30. And because they are showing up, at least even if just one person showed up, I still have to be there and do it. And having a student there means I have to set a good example, which means I have to do it properly and I have to do it for a reasonable level of intensity. And it was, it was a fantastic hack for me because, you know, I'm a, I'm by nature a teacher. If I wasn't teaching swords, I'd be teaching something else. And having, having that sort of external constraint has, yeah. I don't even have to think about, am I going to do any training this week? Because I know that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll be doing an hour of solid, proper, thorough training, which is, mm -hmm. it's not a lot, but it's an awful lot more than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I mean, this is the recipe to achieve anything. I mean, you and I both write books. And mm -hmm. if you want to write a book, actually, I mean, people say all the time, don't they? Oh, I wish I had the time to write a book. But oh, yeah. what you have to do is schedule the time to write a book. And that yeah. means, okay, so, you know, today, for example, a couple, I did a couple of hours before this, thinking about my next project and, you know, trying to consider where it might fit in the market. And, um, you know, the other day, I, I spent a couple of hours dictating my next short story 
story. And so you actually have to make the time to do the things you want to achieve. So you mentioned there your long-term goals, uh, right. you know, and I have goals. They're on my wall about writing. And the only way we get to do these things, even our long walk, for example, um, right. you know, that you have to train for those things. And then it, it, in order to achieve it, you have to put the time aside. So, I mean, it probably is the number one tip if you want to achieve anything is you actually have to schedule the time. And I, I use Google Calendar. I put everything pretty much in there so that I know I don't put eating in there but I do put pretty much everything else <laughs> <laughs> yeah I use whiteboards mm. um, I'm, I'm not good with with any kind of online calendar thing there are for like appointments but I can't my brain doesn't work that way for scheduling time but yes I have whiteboards you can see a couple of them behind me at the moment actually and mm. um, even like stuck on doors and things and that's that's how I keep my my brain working and and scheduling things I want to do now you mentioned in passing a little while ago, and I made a note um, to bring you back to it. You used to get migraines and you don't anymore. And I, I have students who have who suffer from migraines. And the general thing they get told is there's no way to kind of fix them, but your experience is different. So yes. how, did you, well, how did you do it? Well, I think that I think of health as like an onion, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is you peel off one layer and because something is the most urgent thing and then you find something else. So, for example, like my shoulder pain now discovering this tight right hip. I know it doesn't sound related, but it is. And the same with my headaches. So, first of all, I, I'm an introvert and I used to work in an open plan office with around 400 people on the same floor. Oh, oh, oh I couldn't do that. I know. I just couldn't do it. And this was, this was over a decade ago now. And this was before it was acceptable to wear headphones at work. So mm. if anyone listening is a, is a millennial and younger, I think now it's acceptable. Or if you're a programmer, it's acceptable to wear headphones, but it wasn't acceptable to wear headphones. So one reason for my migraines was a literal sensation overload every day. That, so that was, that was one reason. So when I actually gave up that job. <laughs> That really helped. That was a big deal. But I did, it's crazy. I didn't realize it, but I was popping painkillers every day, every oh, single day. That's really is, bad. Yeah, which is really bad because I had to work and I had headaches all the time. So that, so one question would be, where, you know, what is going on in your environment that is a stress? Because mine was very much a stress headache. So that would be one thing. Second thing, um, again, I'm not sure if this is just women, but I definitely, uh, used to have hormonal, um, you know, related headaches. So they would come and go at particular points in the cycle. So that is something also, and that can also get, you know, you can change your pill, for example, and, and that can help. Um, so that, that, that also went away for me, um, when I changed my pill. And then those are my two main reasons. Um, for me, so it was more environmental and hormonal than anything else. I do know, I mean, obviously there are some people who, and to be honest, I still occasionally will get a migraine when I have spent way too long at the computer at night. So for example, I used to do a lot more webinars at night and I would almost the next day have this sort of brain hangover from all oh, of God. that. And yeah. that would turn it. And, and again, it's sensation overload. So if people listening, if you, if you identify as an introvert, someone who gets energy from being alone, um, and introverts also are very sensitive to 
noise and light and sound. And if you're tired, particularly, all of that can just overload your brain and that can give you a headache. So I'm not saying that's the same for everyone, but that was definitely for me. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I would imagine it was something to do with your spine, but no, that's that's quite different. Excellent. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought no, that'd be useful completely for... different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny to say like, the shoulder is connected to the hip and it would be left shoulder, right hip. And okay, for us, when we're looking at power generation, there's all of these things are interconnected. Mm. So the power is being basically delivered out of the body through these these interconnecting systems, which run from your toes all the way out to your fingers. Mm. And it's really common that a student will be having some issue. I don't know, they'll, they'll experience pain in their elbow, for instance. But really, once we get their back leg working properly, the pain goes away because those muscles aren't having to compensate for something that's lacking somewhere else. That's exactly right. And that would be another tip is uh, all personal trainers are not alike. And, uh, very true. Yeah. And trainers I've had in the past who have been focused on, say, cardio activity, like a lot of people will go to a personal trainer and say, I need to lose some weight. And right. that is, um, and that's probably what I did in the past with trainers in the past. So they will get you doing cardio stuff and that. But the, my trainer now, Dan, I went to him with, I cannot lift my arm above my head. I'm in chronic shoulder pain. So what I found was a trainer who is works on functional movement. And now my shoulder is pretty much fixed. Um, as long as I do all of the, you know, Cuban presses right. and, and I do all the maintenance work that I need to do. But now we've moved on to lots of other things because as, and cause he understands the functional movement. And so this would be my tip for people. If you want to really have a good personal trainer, you need to look for people who have, who work on the whole body, the functional stuff. So, you know, he'll say, well, we're not going to do that because that is completely pointless. We're going to do this exercise, which will, as you say, will integrate your whole, you know, postural chain yeah. or whatever. So I think that, and I, that's something I've really been reflecting on recently is my goodness, I spent probably a decade paying people around the wrong thing. And that's, you know, <laughs> easily done. It's easily done. done. Yeah. Because exercise then, is exercise, right? Yes, fit yes you're exactly. Not, right? Yes. Yeah. And and so we treat it. And now I try and think about it as movement so rather yeah. than exercise. I mean, sure. I, and I love, you know, I love lifting my kettlebells and I, and I love our longer walks. But what I know with walking is it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't do the same thing. So sure. I love doing all these different things. Um, but I'm, Yes, uh, I think exactly what you're saying is don't assume it's the thing that hurts. <laughs> it might just be something else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and the, the effect on your body of walking five miles is going to be completely different to the effect on your body of picking up a 10 kilo weight and putting it over your head. Mm, I mean, exactly. Yeah. Different move, mo motion, different level of repetition, different level of stress. It's just going to have a different effect. Mm. Uh, so I like to, you know, balance things out so that I'm doing some strength stuff, some mobility stuff, some breathing exercises and some, I don't really think of it as endurance exactly, but getting to the point where it's, it's hard to keep my breathing steady and then keeping it steady anyway. 
Yes, I, I, may, I might not have got. I mean, you know, you talked about squats before, like this morning <laughs> with Dan. <laughs> we did a whole load of of squats, and I mean, seriously, with cardio, you know, if you want cardio, just do a whole load of weighted squats, and you'll be right. breathing heavy. Yes. So, but it is interesting, isn't it? It's a kind of, and it's also for again for a woman. I think this pride in being strong is really important. I think for a man, it that's always been the way. You know, you you want to be a strong man. That's what it's partly to do with but as a woman it's like that the benefit of being strong is not emphasized enough right so i i think that's really important too if anyone's you know listening you know whether it's yourself or your family it, it's it's so good for your health to do weighted exercise it can just be body weight but i think over time adding other weights is is kind of important for not just maintenance but improvement yeah, and you, know, you come across the idea quite a lot that you pick up a weight a couple of times and suddenly you're bulging with muscle like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it's like, do you know? Do you know how hard those people work to look like that? Yeah, exactly. I don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also it's interesting because um, uh, you know a, a kilo of muscle or a pound of muscle mm. it takes up less space than a, a pound of fat sure. or a kilo of fat. So you do actually, you know, I'm getting leaner as I'm getting more muscly which is awesome and and the more muscle you have the easier it is to burn fat and other things because Mm. you have more of the tissue that actually does that exactly which is all exciting but i I do want to come back to i mean uh, you've used the word exercise and i think this was a massive mindset shift for me which is Mm -hmm. exercise to me was always the punishment was always the Uh, the kind of i must exercise to offset the food i'm gonna eat or whatever oh no i know I know. Eat, eat this and you must be punished with exercise. Oh, yes, that's, that's and dreadful. Or, or at school, you know, I'm a bookish introvert mm-hmm. child and, uh, you know, I still am. <laughs> and it was it was punishment to have to go and play hockey or go swimming oh, yeah. or whatever. So for me, it was a big mindset shift to say, do you know what? I love working out. I love movement. I love walking. So that's why I try and call it movement or weight mm-hmm. or whatever. I try not to call it exercise because it <laughs> feels sure. more negative. Whereas now, it's like you said about the mental health. I feel so good after I work out that that's, that's how that's I want reward. to. Yeah, that is the reward. And even if I start feeling at the beginning, if I'm feeling terrible, I can feel so much better once I do it. And so again, that's the, you start off by doing this stuff to avoid pain. And then eventually you're enjoying it so much, you do it for the pleasure of actually doing it. Sure. But one of the great things about swords is that people who just can't abide the whole idea of exercise will get up and swing a sword around because swords are cool. Right. And <laughs> they want them, they true. want to use swords. And you know, honestly, the if I needed a rational justification for the job that I do, it would be an awful lot of people are moving an awful lot more because they're doing it with swords. And otherwise they would be stuck on the sofa. That is a very good point. And in fact, if you used a sword as like a weight training thing, you could have a whole new video oh, no, series. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> This, this is really important from a sword person's perspective, okay? For us, the sword is a labor-saving device because what it does is it makes it much easier to hit people from further away and it takes much less energy to kill somebody with a sharp sword than it does to kill them with your fists, okay? That is true. So, so I know people who do do, if you like, sword size stuff, but <laughs> I, I, I absolutely have just... I never go anywhere near that for, for the reason that I want people to perceive the sword as a thing that makes something easier 
rather than the thing that makes something harder. So we have kettlebells to make a motion more difficult or uh, you know, squats or whatever to make a motion more difficult. But the sword makes the motion easier because you don't have to go so far and you don't have to use that much effort to actually stick it through. So there's a, there's a strong kind of psychological component about how you, how you relate to your tools. It's like if you're writing a book, the reason you use a computer and Scrivener is because it's a damn sight easier to do that than to you know, write it all out by hand. That is that is true. So Absolutely, I wouldn't try kind of and kill someone thing. with my laptop unless <laughs> writing know, done. <laughs> writing words. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, now we you mentioned sort of walking ultra marathons and things like that. And I know that recently you did a pilgrimage from Southwark Cathedral in London to Canterbury Cathedral in Kent, uh, 182 kilometers or 113 miles on foot in six days. Okay. This is a really medieval thing to do. And I know you have a educational background in that sort of studies. So what was it like? What did you get out of it? Yeah, sure. So yes, I did um, what's known as the Pilgrim Way or the Beckett Way um, from Southwark Cathedral, which is a thousand years of Christianity right there in Southwark. The the Church of Chaucer, obviously, um, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, The pil- that's the route the pilgrims uh, went. Um, so Canterbury, uh, Sir Thomas Beckett, Saint Sir Thomas Beckett, Saint Thomas Beckett was um, martyred there 850 years ago from 2020. And so it was a chance. I mean, there was this whole thing last year, Beckett 2020 for, for the anniversary, but obviously with COVID, all of that got, um, cancelled. But there was a brief, you'll remember the brief time between <laughs> lockdown one and lockdown two. <laughs> uh, yes, those halcyon days. <laughs> yes, they were. Um, and that was uh, mid-October. So I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to do it anyway. So yes, I, I have a master's in theology and my arcane thrillers are all about religious history and, um, you know, different relics and religious sites. But so blowing stuff reason- up and killing people and, and saving people. Yes, coming blowing from- stuff yes, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want yes. anybody to think they were boring, that's all. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, lots, lots of death and murder and yeah, yeah uh, a few swords, um, but mostly other or despicable things. Uh, they are thrillers and crime novels. Yes, thank you for that. But I decided that, um, well, all of my books are based on my travels. And what happened was everything got cancelled and I ran out of book ideas. So I was like, right, I need to write a book set in England. I know I'll go to Canterbury and do something based on the martyrdom of Beckett. And that will get me out of the house. I can do a really long walk on my own. It was, is a challenge because I haven't actually done a multi-day solo you know, walking with maps thing before. And some days are really big, like 40K in a day, which is, you know, we've That's done 50K. Way. But yeah, it's day after day after day is is tough. So I was like, it'd be a physical challenge, emotional challenge. I'll learn stuff. I'll see some cool places. And essentially, I will get a book out of it. So it is medieval in that uh, you know, for a religious perspective, I'm not a Christian. So it was more of a historical, cultural research trip. Um, but still, I mean, Gothic cathedrals, if you love swords, you probably love Gothic cathedrals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are gorgeous and Southwark and Canterbury Gothic. Obviously, Canterbury is, is incredible Gothic cathedral. So it was, and I love taking pictures of architecture. I'm architecture geek. So. I wanted to do all of that. I also am going to write a um, travel 
book at some point and I have the books and travel podcast and I, I've done a solo episode on the pilgrimage. So it, it, it did so much more than what you'd think six days would have accomplished, which I was so pleased about because I, I, when I finished it, the day I finished it, I was quite tired, obviously. And I thought I haven't had some big epiphany about anything. But what I found over the next couple of weeks is that by reviewing everything and reviewing my journal over that time, I actually did have some realizations about, for example, Memento Mori, Remember mm. You Will Die. I know swordsmen love that too. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> but there are these wonderful cadaver tombs and there's one at, um, uh, there's one at Southwark and there's one at Canterbury. Um, the one in Southwark, which is a 12th century, uh, cadaver tomb with, and a cadaver tomb is different to a normal medieval tomb because it has, uh, a, a dead body, as in a corpse, a cadaver on the top of it. Whereas normally everyone puts like, here's the knight in his full armor looking right. as if he's just asleep, asleep or whatever. Whereas a cadaver tomb has the dead body on top of the tomb. And there's, um, the, the one at Southwark is just, just the cadaver. And at Canterbury, it's right near the altar. It is the, um, the archbishop at the top. He's there in his finery and then Underneath, there's a second layer with him uh, wrapped in the shroud and, uh, you know, dead. And he had that built something like 20 years before he actually died. And he would uh, preach his sermon looking at his own dead body in wow. the tomb. And I'm like, that that's, is really cool. <laughs> that's hardcore. That is, and so these, these effigies, are, they're, they're carved in the stone of the monument of, of the yes. tomb. Yeah, yeah. the tomb, uh, medieval tombs, you know, wow. have the monument on top. Yeah, I, I, I say this because uh, at Pisa, uh, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, mm -hmm. um, when I went there with my wife and kids a while ago, the one thing my kids really liked about that trip, other than drawing the Leaning Tower of Pisa, that was quite cool, is inside the cathedral, to them it was all quite boring, except San Ranieri is there in his glass coffin, and you can see his actual dead body is right there. There we go. That's religious like, relics for you. That is. Gotta love them. <laughs> yeah. And the kids were like, it's a real dead body. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, you see, and then most people, when they get older, they kind of lose that, how cool it is. I'm yeah. still that little kid. I still go visit dead bodies in, in cathedrals. But what's interesting about, um, uh, Canterbury Cathedral, obviously, it's not Catholic. It's High Anglican. It's, it's the seat of the Archbishop of Canterbury. And, um, actually, the uh, medieval relic of Becket is in the Catholic tiny catholic church outside the gate so if people oh, wow. go and visit yeah you can go see some of the relics of becket but they're not in the cathedral what you have is this beautiful sword um i don't know if you've seen the picture of of the actual it's called the martyrdom which is the site of the martyrdom and there's it's a sword or well, two swords and a cross um but made out of swords basically because it was four knights who murdered becket by chopping his head and you know stirring up the brains it's all very gruesome but um but it, you know interesting so anyway that be <laughs> my swords next. work this is what swords are for exactly well they managed to you know that that's where it is and um so when i, I haven't written the book yet as we're recording this but day of the martyr will be coming out sometime in 2021 and it will excellent. no doubt have some gruesome things in <laughs> excellent well if it has any sword fights feel free to run them by me first <laughs> Well, 
the, this is the issue is my books are all set in present times, but um, sometimes people do have some swords, but you know they more they look at them on, and maybe lean on them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I've I know you haven't actually written a a sword fighting book. Is that is that ever going to happen? Do you think? Well, I do have. I was looking. I have a brief sword kind of fight in map of shadows when which is my map walker series is like the world off the edge of the map uh which is this other realm and they come through the gate into the middle of bath uh, this sort of shadow gate and emerge into bath and they have prim- more primitive weapons so they have uh swords and so there's a brief sword uh thing in the middle of bath in the circus uh but it's not it's not very long and then a day of the vikings i do have a uh, a sword that's rolled up i'm sure people mm, know yeah. you know the sword that's rolled up can't be used and is is a cursed uh, viking relic basically so yeah i have a few swords but nothing no real sword fights as such as you say i mean if you think that the sword is an effective way to kill someone from a long way off the gun is even more effective uh, yeah no no argument there uh, but they <laughs> The gun, from with a gun is you, all you can do with it is attack. Okay, it well, has no, no defensive well, capability. That's true. Although right? it is in itself a defense, people would argue. Yeah, well, yeah, it has a psychological defense of I am armed. I can shoot you if you if you move wrong. But it, it there is no way to use the gun to actually deal with attacks. You can only use it to threaten an attack or to actually attack. Mm, so it's kind point. of it's kind of I don't know very effective. I like shooting. Um, Back when I lived in Finland, I, I owned several pistols and, you know, pistol shooting is super fun. Uh, but, you know, I actually had this hour-long conversation with a philosopher called Damon Young mm. after I interviewed him for my podcast a while ago. And we just got chatting afterwards and I accidentally left the microphone running, right? <laughs> Completely accidentally. And then he, we ended up discussing here, what is a sword, philosophically speaking? You know, what actually makes a weapon a sword? When, when does a, a big knife become a sword? When does, you know, why is a spear not a sword? What is really the difference? And it, it, it went into all sorts of funny places. But one of the things we were talking about was the sword is one of the few weapons which you can actually use one part of it for defense, the other part for attack. It has a mm. defensive component and an offensive component, which are separate areas of the same, of the blade. And that's like, you just don't get that with guns. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> but I'm only a fiction writer. So. <laughs> that sounds like one of your books, not my books. <laughs> it, it's definitely one of one of my books, not, not your books. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's often the case that, you know, epiphanies come by stages or, or you, you, you realise maybe a week or a month or a year after something happened that it's changed you in a particular way. Um, so what really did you learn from your pilgrimage? Oh, well, I think the, what I did every day, um, was I had a, a list of questions. So maybe we can link to that in the show notes because they're sure. quite questions for life uh, as much as anything. So I wrote a, a whole page of questions and I stuck them in the middle of my journal or the front page of my journal for the trip. And every day I would think about these various questions, um, and so, for example, what am I carrying and what am I leaving behind? And these are, mm. you know, or what am I, what am I, what is behind me? What is in front of me? Questions that can be very obvious, a bit like your philosophy of swords. You know, yeah. they can be obvious. It's a sword. Everyone knows yeah. what a sword is. Yeah. Or they can be quite deep and meaningful. Right. And what I 
came to in the end was the transience and permanence of everything. And it, 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 in a way, it's not deeply meaningful, as in I was walking in autumn, so the, the leaves were, were falling down as I, I walked, the transience of nature and the permanence of, I was walking the North Downs Way, basically, the permanence of these hills and the transitory nature of my steps across them, for example. Mm-hmm. Or in Canterbury Cathedral, I, I went to the Sung Evensong, which is, you know, fantastic latin and as i said i'm not a christian but if you fail to feel something in song even song in a gothic cathedral there's something wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) you know this sort of the the transitory nature of song every single note disappears so quickly and yet you're within this this permanence a thousand year old permanence of cathedral and the stone and so I, i think it helped i mean i i write about life and death and good and evil a lot in my books. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of my overarching themes. And again, Memento Mori, Remember You Will Die, the, the transience. I mean, you you and I in the pandemic right now, it, it's, it feels both transient and permanent. It, it sure. feels like it will never end. It's been going on for so long. And, and then the, every day passes and you go through the emotions and one day we're going to wake up and it will be over and it will feel transitory. It doesn't feel like that now, but it will. And it, on the walk, for example, as well, the transitory emotions. I mean, again, talking back to physical, the physical self, some, some moments I felt strong and well and upbeat and I was striding across the landscape and I was just like, yes, I'm fantastic and here's my pack <laughs> and I'm free and all this. And then sometimes I would just like, oh my goodness, I'm, I feel ugly and I heavy and I'm, you know, the world is against me. And these emotions, my physical body was no different, but I I felt differently. So, so much of that came from reflecting on the transience and permanence of each of these stages of the journey. And in fact, life, I think a pilgrimage is generally, it is a physical movement from one place to another for a reason that you consider important. It can be secular, it doesn't have to be religious, but equally it usually is a movement from one place to to another. And yeah, for me it was it has it, it has enough meaning, more meaning as I said than the amount of time it took and I am planning my next one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and it's it should lead to a sense of transformation of some kind. But yes, I, it's I just, a, yeah, I just you had think a thought so. um, about what you were just saying. It's as if feelings in the body are as songs in a cathedral. Yeah, transitory. Uh, although some, most of the time, the songs in the cathedral are glorious and uplifting and, you know, in some way. But yeah, the feelings in the body are, are so transitory. And then, of course, we're looking for that next feeling of some kind and maybe part of the relationship with your physical body is realizing that sometimes you just have no control you know like I'm sure you've had the same I've had some days during the pandemic where I have felt I I'm not someone who suffered from depression but I have seen depression in these times but it it hasn't it hasn't lasted very long because I'm you know grateful not to Uh, go through that or more than one or two days in a row but I have felt that darkness and that I just want to stay in bed and I just feel sad you know I've had weeping days of Mm -hmm. this is just awful 
But as you say, it's tran- it's transitory. And if we can hold on to that transitory nature, then maybe we'll appreciate more the time we have. And which also, is also transitory. Which is also transit exactly, and the, in fact, my um, the podcast episode I did around this pilgrimage. It's called "This Too Shall Pass: uh, Thoughts right. from the Pilgrim's Way," because everything this too shall pass. You know, uh, sure. are, are the pandemic, our lives. You know, you and I are similar age. Uh, mm-hmm. We too shall pass on at some point. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and and that's a good thing to reflect upon because it helps you make the most of of your time. I think. Yeah, and, and just to make better choices. I mean, here's a funny thing. It is that thinking that led me onto your work in the first place. Mm. Because when I was around, I was heading to 40, and I realized that there will come a time when I can't just show up and teach martial arts in person four nights a week and most weekends. Because, you know, eventually, you know, you don't, you don't see like 100-year-old people doing that. Yeah. Right. It just starts at some point between now and, and, you know, when I die, there's going to, I will have to stop relying on that, mm. on being able to do that. And so I started self publishing my books. And whenever I got into your, um, how to market a book, that was my th- first book of yours mm. I bought and just sort of try to figure out ways of continuing to teach and continuing to help my students and yet also getting away from the whole, I actually have to show up and be there in person to do it in person. I still do that. I still love doing that, but I don't want to rely on that for feeding my children because it's transitory. It is. And also we don't, you know, we are assuming in, in this conversation that you will go on to a hundred or 95 <laughs> or whatever. In my brain, whatever. I've got like 96, but you know, who knows, who knows what will happen. And I think that was another thing, you know, I really wrote down when all this uh, happened and we were, t- you know, the first lockdown, it was, okay, well, if I did, if I was going to die this year, what would I be really annoyed that I haven't done? <laughs> <laughs> And and for me, I've been wanting to do um, the Camino de Santiago, which is the okay. which is you know seven hundred kilometers. That's a long way. Yeah, the front says route is the longest, and um, I'm like, okay, well, in order to do a forty day pilgrimage, you know, back to back days, then I need to start doing some shorter ones. So in a way, the this um, the six days was almost a, a the first step towards me doing the greater goal. Mm-hmm. in the future so it's like you you said about what's helping me move towards my goals part of the reason I'm fi- you know trying to fix my hair for my shoulders is so that I can go on to do uh, a, a pilgrimage but not be crippled with pain every single day right. like, I don't think that's necessary <laughs> no definitely not and it's funny there's, there's no such thing as fit there's only fit for a particular purpose and someone who's perfectly yeah, fit, fit purpose, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but someone who's perfectly fit to write books and go on long walks is probably not fit to beat Mo Farah in a marathon. Different kind of fit. No, and that's so important. And again, that's that as you learn more about health and um, mm. and fitness being the wrong word, but you know, and fun- functional health. Let's just call it that. What do you want to be functional for? And first of all, you know, I want to be functional for life. You know, when I hurt my shoulder like that, I couldn't carry the recycling bin out to the front. And like you talk about what well, I don't want to do job, when I. <laughs> no, I actually, I actually do the bins. Um, okay. But it's like, you know, that, but that's ridiculous. I do not want to be, 
I, I need to be functional. I need yeah. to be able to do things. And that should be the first thing. The second thing is, yeah, can I do my sword training or can I walk my pilgrimage? Right. And, and can I do that without damaging myself more? So I was thrilled. Like, in fact, when we were together, um, you know, it was really hot that weekend, wasn't yeah. it? And, and I retired before you retired. Um, but since then, uh, I mean, the six day was an example, 182 kilometers, whatever it was. I had a tiny blister on one toe and I didn't have any significant pain at all. And that was because of all the work that I've been doing to prepare myself. And I'm just much more functional in this way. Well, that You're I'm adapted worse. to it. I am for much more. Yeah. yeah. It helps that it was October instead of like the highs of <laughs> yes. May on that island. It was that very was hot really that hot. weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> uh, my, my one trouble was um, staying hydrated because I just... I went super light and I just had that one half litre water bottle and there was sometimes a bit too far between, between. <laughs> hydration <laughs> stations. <laughs> but we've got to challenge ourselves. You know, right. I've, yeah, yeah. I've booked another couple this year, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it strikes me that, that the whole Memento Mori thing is one of the really interesting things about swordsmanship as opposed to, say, like boxing, is that it's, we are effectively rehearsing to murder people as opposed to just punch them in the head. Mm. And it requires us to to contemplate our own mortality if we're actually going to engage with that aspect of the arts that we practice. And of course, you know, none of us are going around actually killing people, at least not as far as I know. But <laughs> the historical sources that we're dealing with were written for people who absolutely could reasonably expect to murder somebody in a duel at some point in their lives. I mean, mm. it wasn't necessarily going to happen, but it was it was not unreasonable to expect it. And that's what they were preparing for. So there's that, there's a whole dimension to it, which basically forces us to confront mortality and, you know, have a, I don't actually have a picture of me lying in a tomb in my study. I think my wife would object if I put one in, <laughs> but it's not a bad idea. Yeah. And I think it is good to think about these, these things and uh, it will help us decide what is important in our lives and that should be the next thing we aim for so i guess that would be our challenge to people listening is to really consider what do you want what do you really want to do with your life right. and maybe stop waiting wasting time and, and start moving towards that yeah absolutely that's actually a really really good place to finish on i mean i do have one last question i asked this of pretty much all of the guests and my my listeners will be disappointed in me if I don't ask you because you seem to do a lot and you're biased towards action and you've written loads of books and you've gone on these walks and what have you what is the best idea you've never acted on yes yeah, so you sent this in advance and uh I literally don't have one because excellent I, I'm that's a great who, answer <laughs> every every idea I do I get I think the problem is I have so many ideas but I wouldn't say I don't act on them the ideas that I really want to act on I act on so there's right. nothing I can think of that I didn't necessarily act on and in fact I've probably made more mistakes because I act on things <laughs> right yes yeah, so I'm, I'm the same I'm definitely biased towards you know just okay you get this idea right just do it like oh, I had this idea to start a podcast and literally the next day I had a guest lined up to interview well, you see, that's what I did back in 2009, and I'm still podcasting. So I'll see, I'll see <laughs> you in a decade. I'll see you in a decade. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, I think we'll have you back here before then. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Joanna. It's been a delight. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Guy. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joanna Penn. You can find the episode show notes at guywindsor.net forward slash podcast. 
While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd also like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and want it to continue. You can join us there for behind-the-scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. Patreon.com forward slash The Sword Guy. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Tim Parks about meditation and writing and other things. So, make sure you don't miss it. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do rate the show. And if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help get the word out. So, I'll see you next week.